you would turn with me in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6. There's also Bibles available to you in the, in the chairs, and I believe you can find Ephesians 6 on page 979 of those Bibles. We're continuing in our sermon series in Ephesians, and more specifically, looking at the armor of God, what God has equipped us with to go in and enter into the spiritual battle He has called us into against the forces of evil. So I'm going to read for us from starting in verse 10, just to get us back into that context. And we'll be focusing in on today, in verse 17, the helmet of salvation. This is the Word of God. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and, as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. Let us pray. God, we ask now that you would help us, that you would open our hearts, our eyes, our ears, our minds to receive your truth, that you would open my mouth to boldly proclaim the mystery of the gospel, that we would once again love and sing and wonder in response to what Christ has done for us. We pray this in his strong name. Amen. When I say the word helmet, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? Some of you may thought, well, maybe a bicycle helmet. You know, I really like my kids' bicycle helmets, like Ninja Turtle and things like that. Those are great. There's motorcycle helmets. There's, you know, living in Huntsville, there's astronaut helmets, right? We kind of like those. Maybe you're a history person and you think of the medieval knight sort of helmets that a soldier would wear in the battle. There's also the matter of that crimson-colored helmet with a number on it that we see each fall. Or maybe the white one with the AU on it as well. I, don't worry, I didn't bring the Clemson one. I'm not going to pull it out and show it off. There's baseball helmets. There's hockey helmets. There's car racing helmets. There's construction helmets. There's a lot of helmets that we, that we use. Why do we use these helmets? What, what do we need them for? Well, it's obvious. We, we need them to protect our heads. Better yet, to protect what's inside of our heads. As Paul continues to lay out the armor necessary for the Christian 
to enter into the spiritual battle against the forces of evil. He now says that we're to take up the helmet of salvation. It's a helmet that will offer protection for our minds. And it's a helmet that gives great assurance that our heads will be clear for battle, that we will be able to receive and understand and apply God's word as his word tells us again and again the wonderful message of salvation and directs us to the source of that salvation, the Lord Jesus Christ. So this morning we asked the, the simple question, well, what, what is salvation? What is it that will guard our minds and protect us as we enter into that battle? Well, salvation has a multi-tiered meaning in the Scriptures. It means a lot of different things, although it only comes through us one way, from God to us. Beginning with the Old Testament, when we think of the word salvation, we often think of the word deliverance. That God's people were delivered from their enemies. That they were delivered out of trouble. That they were delivered out of distress or out of famine or from disease or from a number of different things. We see examples of this all over the place where God's people found themselves in a bind, in a difficult spot. And they were saved from it because God intervened and came down into that situation. The most common example from the Old Testament is God's salvation or his deliverance of his people out of slavery in Egypt. That God intervened to break them out of bondage and led them to freedom. This becomes one of the foundational elements of how God's people worshipped him and how they responded to him. That they remembered, that they recognized that he had done mighty works to save them, to bring them salvation. Yet also in the Old Testament, we see a future hope element to salvation. That it speaks of a Messiah who will come, who will bring salvation and deliverance to his people. That he will bring them out of sin. As well as we see a pointing forward to a final judgment, establishment of God's kingdom in the new heavens and the new earth. As we go into the New Testament, we see salvation is often uh, defined and spoken of in the sense that we're delivered from sins, that we are delivered from sin and all its consequences through the work of our Redeemer, Jesus Christ. Another thing we see is that salvation is not only being saved from something, it's also being saved to something. As in the New Testament, we see salvation brings us new life, both in the here and now, as well as eternal life with God. Salvation in the Scriptures is seen as given, it's something that's given to us as a gift. It's accomplished by Christ and His work for us. And it's received by faith. So this morning, as Paul tells us to take up the helmet of salvation, he has all these things in mind and more. This helmet brings us great security as we move confidently into battle, knowing that our salvation is secure through Christ. So as we think about this salvation, we want to ask a few questions this morning. And the first question is this, well, what exactly is it that we are being saved from? Is salvation, salvation from what? Ephesians 2, which if you don't mind flipping back there, we'll be referring to that a couple of times during the sermon. Ephesians 2 gives us a great summary of what we were saved from. It begins this way. And you were dead in the trespasses 
and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. In other words, that is what we were. That is what we are being saved from. And without God intervening on our behalf to save us, if we were left to ourselves, then we are dead in our sins. We have no prospect of life, eternal or otherwise, that we cannot in any way help ourselves out of this mess. Because, it says here, we're dead. In our deadness, it follows that we, we follow the ways of evil. We do what comes natural to us. We find ourselves ultimately in a pit, unable to climb out, captive to darkness, destined for wrath and separation from God for eternity. But friends, that is what we were saved from. We're rescued from all those things in Christ. But it's helpful for us to, to go back and look at that, isn't it? And to see our own ongoing need for salvation through Christ. That we must call our sin what it is. Sometimes this is difficult for us, I think. Because maybe we can clean up pretty good, right? We can, we can kind of feel like we maybe have things together. Maybe we've avoided the, big, the biggies. We've avoided the big sins. I so said maybe we feel okay about that. Maybe we have an easier time pointing out the sins of others than examining ourselves. Yet as we consider this glorious word this morning, salvation, it invites us to actually bring out the mirror and to take a long look. Not to ask the question, who's the fairest of them all? But to look at it and to say with, with Paul in 1 Timothy, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost, or who, of whom I am the worst. The scripture reminds us in other places that, that our sin is not just doing what God has forbidden, but it's also not doing that which God requires. It's not only breaking God's commands, it's also not fulfilling the positive requirements of His commands. So maybe you didn't murder anyone this week. That's good, right? But maybe you withheld forgiveness from someone. Maybe you didn't steal something this week. That's good. But maybe you walked by a neighbor who was in need of help and you had the ability to help and you didn't do it. Sin is not just about our actions. It's also about our words. It's about our thoughts, our attitudes. And so as we ask this question, what are we saved from? We, we have to take this look in the mirror. We must not only see the reality of our sins, we must see the reality of where sin leads. That there are consequences. That all sin, the Scripture tells us, deserves God's wrath. And therefore, as sinful people, that is what we deserve. But as we examine ourselves in this way, we begin to see that there is good news. Because we, once again, we've heard this word already this morning. Salvation. That this is what we've been saved from. This is what we've been rescued from. In Romans chapter 7, uh, there's a great passage where Paul 
uh, in a sense, is given a testimony of where self-examination leads. So that if you take this time to look in the mirror, you begin to uh, have this discussion with yourself. I think this is a, a great picture of what it's like to live as a Christian and to struggle against sin, but to remember um, what we've been saved from. Romans chapter 7, uh, I'm going to read certain parts of it. It says this, I do not understand my own actions, for, what I, do not do, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing that I hate. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Try saying that five times fast. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am. And then this great question. Who will deliver me from the body of death? And the answer comes, thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And that's what this asking this question, this self-examination leads to. It leads to saying, you know, I can't deal with this. I see my sin. I see the reality of the consequences of it. Who is going to rescue me from it? Who's going to save me? And the answer comes, thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So we take out this helmet of salvation. There's great assurance for us of what we already have in Christ. That our sins, everyone that just came to mind as we were talking about this, our sins have been fully forgiven because of what He has accomplished for us. That we've been delivered from the power of the evil one. That we've been brought into God's family. And so this question, who will rescue me from this body of death? Who will save me from my sins? Has been answered. And that's the second question that we were going to ask today about salvation. What are we saved from? But also, who are we saved by? I want you to imagine for a moment that we're returning to the pit I mentioned earlier in the, ser- the sermon. That Let's say we're in the bottom. You're in the bottom of a 100-foot pit. It goes down 100 feet deep. And so you're down there, and you're stuck, and you're looking up. And someone walks by, and they look down, and they see you in the pit, and they say, Hey! I see that you're down in the pit. Why don't you come on out and join us up here? Then maybe someone else comes along and trying to be slightly more helpful. Says, hey, I see you're down in the pit and that looks kind of difficult. Um, We need to get you out of there. I'm going to drop a 20-foot rope and if you can somehow find your way to it, I'll, I'll help you kind of get up the rest of it. And then maybe someone else comes along and they, I don't know, drop a drone camera in there and film you for some reality show or something. Maybe the pizza guy comes and he, he slides the pizza down to you so you can eat. But all these people come by and at the end of the day, you find yourself still there at the bottom of the pit, unable to get out. See, other philosophies and other worldviews and other religions, they all have a concept of salvation. They all have some kind of concept of deliverance. But it often involves things like self-help or being enlightened, or justifying yourself by doing good works, or by finding nirvana, or by doing what is necessary to please another God. These philosophies and religion come in different shapes and sizes and flavors, 
and they differ from one another. But at the end of the day, they invite you in some way to come and to earn your salvation or to attain salvation through your own means. In other words, they come calling for you to come out of the pit. And they will offer help to do so. But at the end of the day, they cannot do what is necessary to bring you up out of it. When we talk about salvation, we must talk about who we are saved by and what makes salvation for believers in Christ different than the other salvations that are promised by others. Ephesians 2 helps us again if we look there. It says this, But God, who is rich in mercy, because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, that it is by grace you have been saved, and raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. What we see here in Ephesians, and it's expanded on all through the Scriptures, is that salvation comes from God, not from us. The salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ Jesus alone. That we have to understand that we were in the pit, that we were unable to do anything to pour ourselves out of it. And rather than throw us a rope that is too short, Jesus himself came all the way down into the pit and he grabbed a hold of us and he pulled us out. And it says in Ephesians 2, he, he didn't just kind of leave us part way. He took us all the way home, seated in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. See, Jesus came and he lived a life of righteousness. He fulfilled the law and everything it required. He took the wrath of God that was meant for us upon Himself when He went to His death on the cross. Friends, this is how salvation came. It came freely as a gift by grace as Christ loved us and He gave Himself for us. Earlier in the service, um, Matthew read from Isaiah chapter 59. And what a great passage that is where we see that the Lord looked and He saw the state of His people. So He Himself put on the armor. He himself put on righteousness as a breastplate. He put the helmet of salvation on his head and he went into battle to bring his people salvation. And what Isaiah describes is ultimately fulfilled in Christ as it describes him and his work for us, that he went to battle for us, that he went to the cross and he defeated sin and defeated evil, and that he is our truth, our righteousness, our peace, our salvation. All the things we've seen in the armor of God, that is who Christ is and what He's done for us. So again, we have great assurance this morning as we put on this helmet that our salvation does not rest upon us, but it rests upon Christ and His great work for, for us. He's done everything necessary. So we have answers to the questions, what have we been saved from and who are we saved by? And finally today, we want to ask the question, well, what are we saved to? Not only this morning have we the assurance of what we've been delivered from in the sense of looking backwards. There's also assurance of the present power of salvation 
as well as the future hope that comes with it. Earlier in Ephesians, in Ephesians 1.13, we read this, that in Him, that's in Christ, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of His glory. See, salvation, it has ramifications for our past, our present, and our future. And here we see a concept that comes up in the Scriptures often. As we read that the Holy Spirit that we've been sealed with, He's the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. You see, often in the Scriptures we see this this kind of tension and something that happens at the same time that's hard for us to kind of wrap our brains around. And that's of the now and the not yet. That there are things that we have in Christ now that we can lay claim to today. And yet, there are things that are not yet, things that are to come, things that one day we will kind of fully grab hold of and fully realize in eternity. We have an inheritance, Ephesians 1.13 tells us. It's ours now, right? Yet there's a time coming when we will fully acquire possession of it in eternity. Think about what we read earlier in Ephesians 2, that we were dead in our sins, yet God made us alive in Christ. Like, we're alive now. It says He raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That we've been, we are raised up with Him now, it says. Yet we also understand there's a not yet aspect to it. That there's a time to come where we will see these things fully realized in eternity with Christ. Colossians 3 talks about it too, that we've been raised with Christ. That that's a present reality. Yet we know that the day is coming and that we believe in the resurrection of the body. We believe in the life everlasting, that these things are in the not yet category, that the day will be ours in Christ. That there are things we have now, but also will have in full in eternity to come. As we consider this helmet of salvation and what we've been saved to, think about for a second, not just the things we've been saved from, but the things we've been saved to. That we have eternal life because of what Christ has accomplished. That we have forgiveness of our sins. That we have been justified. That we've been made right with God. That we are adopted into God's family. That we have access to God in prayer through Christ. That we have the Holy Spirit at work within us to make us more like Jesus. And the list goes on and on. That these are the things that are ours. These are the things that we've been saved to. It's one thing this morning to, to kind of stand up here and say, hey, you know, the slate's been wiped clean. That your past has been taken care of. Your debt has been forgiven. And so now you're in a, you're in a neutral place, right? You're, you know, got a clean slate. You can kind of go from here. That sounds like a, a good idea. But salvation does not just bring us to a neutral ground where we have to do the rest ourselves. See, God comes and He rescues us from our sin and He takes us all the way home. He gives us everything that we need. He accomplishes everything that is required. He not only forgives our sins and the debt that comes with it, but He credits and gives righteousness to us through Christ. He secures our salvation forever. And nothing 
can separate us from His great love for us. That's why in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, um, I'd love for you to turn there if you can look, because this, this is another place where we actually see the helmet of salvation. It's 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 8. 1 Thessalonians is right before 2 Thessalonians. Uh, it's not too far, just flip over a few. But 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 8, Paul refers to the helmet of salvation in this way. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. You see, this helmet of salvation, it brings us assurance, yet it also brings hope. One commentator simply defined hope as a sure and certain expectation. It's not a wishy-washy kind of hope, like, I hope the Braves will win the World Series this year. That's not going to happen, by the way. But this is a real hope. It's a firm hope because it's based on what God has already done for us in Christ. And it rests on the promise of what He will do. That we can look forward with confidence toward eternity, knowing that God has secured it for us and that He will carry us there and He will not let us go. We look forward with confidence knowing that the complete and full realization of all that we've been saved to is coming. That the not yet parts will be experienced in full. But what do we do with all this now? How do we, as we, as we sang earlier, love and sing in wonder in light of such a great salvation? One commentator put it this way in reflecting on these things. And I think this is a helpful uh, way for us to respond to this today. He says, of course, some might say that knowing the future is secure leads to laziness about spiritual things. But a true Christian who has been and is being changed by Christ sees the hope of salvation as both a comfort and an exhortation to live for Christ in the world. And that's our parting word this morning, that that there is great comfort in putting on the helmet of salvation. It fits nice and snug and secure. I don't think it has one of those annoying tags in the back that's poking you. It feels good to put it on. It gives us great assurance of all that Christ has done for us and a certain hope of receiving all that He has promised. But yet there's also a challenge that comes, that there's an exhortation, that with the future secure, we are called to enter into battle and that we're called to go with confidence into that battle that God has called our number to enter into the fight and to be armed from head to toe with all the graces that He has given us, knowing that He has gone into the battle before us and that He goes with us and that we have a great salvation through all that He has accomplished for us in Christ. Let's close in prayer. God, we thank you that you put on the armor and that you intervened and that you came and you rescued your people, that you did not leave us to ourselves, that you did not leave us to try to find our own way, but that you came and you found us. 
and that you saved us and that you brought us into a relationship with you through Christ, our Lord and Savior, our salvation. We pray this morning uh, that you would, as we have heard this word and been comforted, that we would also be challenged to live for Christ now and to enter into the spiritual battle that you have called us to. Help us, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen.